We are going to be blessed with a message from Keith Sargent today. I'm going to read to you what it says here about him, and then I'll tell you what I, my personal feelings about this situation. <laughs> uh, Keith has a bachelor's degree from Faulkner University and a master's degree from here at Bear Valley Bible Institute. Uh, he's preached in Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky, and Florida. And since 1999, he's been involved with us in our schooling here, uh, either in teaching and or uh, directing, assisting and then directing the extension schools. Uh, that's the point I would love to make that says, uh, we are about to open the three more schools that'll make 50 schools uh, that we're extension schools around the world training preachers. A large part of that is the man, Keith Kassargent. He, I believe, is the perfect man for that kind of job. A number of things we could talk about as to why that, but he has just done a great job investigating, establishing, rejecting some schools. He is the man for that job, and God has blessed us through him for the work that he's done. One little point. When did you start preaching in Brookside? 91. 91. He and his wife married in 90. They have three children. I mentioned 91 because my mother, Brookside, is near Birmingham, Alabama. And I remember getting a letter from mother saying, Brookside's got a new preacher named Keith Kassargent. I probably couldn't pronounce it, but uh, I knew they had a new preacher there. And then later on, I had the privilege of meeting him and have worked with him in several ways uh, in the retreats that we have. But uh, besides being a great director and extension for our extension schools, He's a great preacher, and we look forward to him preaching to us this, this afternoon. Good afternoon. I'm trying to match your energy level. Am, am I, am, is it working? You ever do that, preachers? You're excited Sunday morning, that's the best day of the week, and it's your time to preach. You've been thinking about it, you're excited about it, and you get up there, good morning. And that's the ladies. The men sound even worse. <laughs> I quit saying good morning, and, uh, but I am happy to be here. By the way, I, I didn't tell anybody I was doing this, but I have been keeping uh, sort of an informal poll on which speakers wear neckwear, and which have not. Would you like to know the results? Yeah. It's a tie. <laughs> it all goes uphill from here, doesn't it? Right? I, seriously, though, I would like to uh, compliment the lectureship committee. I don't even know who that is. On including this year so many young, recent graduates from the school. Uh, a lot of lectureship committees, you know, they'd rather have the name recognition, you know, uh, the, and, uh, and I understand that, but, but not only was that a wise thing to do, those young men have done this school proud with how well they have done, and I appreciate them. They are, you know, uh, we are known by our fruits and so are our schools, and if that's the fruits of this school, we need more people coming here to this school. And, uh, and that's one of the things I always tell people, send them to, to Bear Valley. By the way, when you get here, 
another reason to be here is our study abroad program, which is, uh, allows a qualified second-year student to study uh, a quarter in one of the international schools. And the ones that have done that have, have really benefited from it. Let's talk about uh, our text this morning, first, or this afternoon. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4 is where we are going to be. I, I think I know why I was given this topic, and that is because I enjoy, I actually enjoy preaching on giving. I know that there are some preachers who do not and some who shy away from it, but I actually enjoy it and, and do, have done so many times. In fact, I uh, do a, a weekend seminar for churches where we on Saturdays deal with some biblical principles of managing money, digging out of debt, things like that, where they can invite their friends. It's very invitable. And then on Sunday, we talk about giving, three lessons on giving from the Bible and tithing and all that stuff. And, uh, and so I enjoy it. And I, uh, I also do the same lessons in some of our schools. I've done one-day seminars where we help these guys know how to manage money and also teach them about giving so they can teach others about giving. And so I, I enjoy this, and I appreciate the opportunity uh, today to be able to, uh, to have this uh, passage to deal with. Let me say this. One thing we need to do a better job of, I think, and I'm speaking in very general terms, we need to do a lot better job of, of talking about this and not being apologetic when we do it. You think about it, if, if we ever preach about it, it's sort of a one-time hit and run, you know, I probably ought to preach on it, it's been a few years, and, you know, you know, and we almost apologize about it, do a hit and run, and then we're done for a few more years. And, and then even, uh, even in our assemblies, think about the wording. Separate and apart from, by the way, that's one word, you know that's separate and apart, it's just one word. Separate and apart from the Lord's Supper, we are now, get the, get the wording, and, and I'm not picking on anybody, I appreciate our men who help and preside, but listen to the wording. We are also commanded to give a small portion, that, that irritates me, that small. who said small? A small portion of what we have, so let's pray. Now think about that. We don't say, all right, we've been commanded to sing, so let's... Uh, all right, let's try a couple. You ever heard that? We've been commanded to pray, so, you know, I don't know. Here, maybe we're going to do a couple of minutes of that. But no, when it comes to getting, it's the only avenue of worship that we treat in that way. And I, and I really don't know why, but it shouldn't be that way. We really don't need to apologize anytime we preach the whole counsel of God. And I've, I've preached these uh, uh, lessons on giving in third world countries and without apology because it's the Word of God. And so we, we need to do a lot better about that. We're going to end with some practical things, and I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but, but we could all stand to do a little bit better about this. So let's look at the text, and the, the first thing, though, we want to see is leading up to the text. And this is relevant in some ways because I think it gives us perhaps the basis for what Paul then begins to address in chapter 16 and verse 1. Leading up to the text, we've got uh, a lot of problems. We've got uh, some who, you know, the division about which one they, was their favorite, and, and uh, they weren't disciplining properly in the church. We had brethren suing one another. Uh, we had some inconsideration going on, particularly with food practices. 
there were divisions within the assembly uh, when they were assembled. And then you had uh, jealousy over spiritual gifts. And then you had these, the uh, divisive teachings that had sprung up about the second coming of Jesus. By the way, this congregation is only about 20 years old. 20-year-old congregation already has messed things up this much. You ever get discouraged with your own brethren and the, the frustration you might share with where you are, I get that. But for perspective, just remember, in only 20 years, what a mess. They had a lot of problems. And, uh, and, and by the way, we get to 2 Corinthians, we realize that some of the things that he told them to do seemed to have worked and, and things got better. But I, I mention all of that because I think that perhaps, in addition to all of that, there may have been some issue with the giving. And there appears to have been questions about the giving. And so let us now begin in our text, 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. The first thing I want you to see is that he prefaces it and he says, to begin with, now concerning the collection for the saints, which is why I said it sounds like they had some questions about the giving. Perhaps the giving was a source of some of the problems in the church. Maybe this was another one of the issues. We don't know what they asked or even if they asked. We don't know what the issue was, if there was an issue. But for whatever reason, he says, okay, now, concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed to the churches of Galatia, so I will direct you as well. So I think the, the first verse is important to understand that perhaps he is answering a question or dealing with a problem or both as it related to the giving. And he's going to tell them to do what he had told the churches in Galatia to do. All right, the second thing we see, I want us to notice in this text, is that Paul makes it very clear that he wants the, each Christian to set aside some of what they have prospered and give that. And he wants them to do that on the, the first day of the week. Now, it's not going to necessarily be used then, but it will be used at a later date. Read with me in verse 2. On the first day of every week, let each one of you put aside and save as he may prosper, that no collections be made when I come. So we're going to have everybody, every individual, set aside some of their money, and on every week when they come together, they're going to give it. And that's going to be used at a later date. And then verses 3 and 4, he tells them that the funds are going to be held and and at in reserve and at some point going to be taken by someone who is trusted verses three and four when i arrive whomever you may approve i shall send them with letters to carry your gift to jerusalem and if it's fitting for me to go also they will go with me i think it's very interesting that he says i want you to choose who is going to be handling the funds and that's incredibly important isn't it even today, we need to be careful about who is handling the funds. You can say what you want about anything about you, you want about money, but money is always powerful. And it can be tempting. And how many churches have known, uh, have been uh, ravaged by dishonesty by somebody who was really close to the money? Uh, and, and so we need to be careful about that. And, and not put anyone in a tempting situation. By the way, one of the, the 
qualifications for those who are shepherding the flock is that they're not a lover of money. It doesn't say they don't have any, or they don't have a lot, just they don't love it. Well, who has easy access to the church's funds? Well, it would be one of the shepherds. By the way, when you're counting the funds on Sunday, there ought to be at least a plurality of people in the room for everybody's benefit. I'm not counting it without somebody else being there. I'm, I'm not touching it. So just, it's just for everybody's benefit, and it's wise. My dad used to say that padlocks keep the honest people out. And, and you know, just a little bit of precaution, a little bit of common sense can keep the honest people from being tempted. And Paul seems to recognize that. I want you, I don't, know, I don't know who I would choose, Paul says, but you know, and I want you to choose the person that you will approve of, and then when, that, when, when, when I come, then we'll, we'll make sure your gift gets to Jerusalem. All right, that's the text. Now, if I were preaching to a normal audience, we'd spend a lot more time in the text, but you don't need me to tell you what it says. You don't need me to tell you to convince you to believe it, you already know the text. Some of you don't need me in any way. But if I can bring anything to the table today, I, want to, I think it's along a practical basis. And so what does this text tell us about our giving today? What is it that as those of us who preach and teach, what is it that we need to share about this text with those who are listening? And then we will end with some practical suggestions on how to encourage more generous giving in the Lord's church. By the way, I always believed in the need to practically apply in the sermon. Make application in the sermon. Brother Winkler used to always tell us, if you just tell the story and you just tell the text, they didn't need you in any way. They could have done that at home. Unless you apply it, you haven't really done justice. Well, I believed that, and for 20 years I preached 100 sermons a year. And then I transitioned where I was in the pew most Sundays, and boy, did I realize how important application is. Don't keep telling me what to do, what to do, what to do, and not tell me how to do it, okay? That wouldn't work in any other circumstance. You imagine if you're a school teacher and, and a student says, how do I work this problem? Well, you just need to work that problem. But I don't know how. Well, if you really wanted to know how, you'd work that problem. You know, isn't that what we do from the pulpit? If you really love the lost, you'd find a way to reach out. Well, that doesn't work. You know, my transmission's acting up. Well, if you really wanted that transmission to work, you'd find a way to fix it. It doesn't work in any other, and it shouldn't work with us either. Let's be very practical with the Word of God. It is relevant today. We just don't always do a good job of making it seem relevant. So four takeaways from this passage to guide our giving today. Now, this is not the first they'd heard of the giving. In fact, if they asked questions about the giving, we realized they already knew something about it. This is not the most comprehensive passage. That's my preference is in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. If there's ever a lectureship on 2 Corinthians, I'm just going to leave it here that I'd love to have some of that. I love that passage. Uh, this is not the first of giving in the Bible. We've got a lot of that in the Old Testament. But in this short section, we do have some very practical guidelines to govern our giving, ours and those to whom we preach. The first thing we see is that we are to give regularly. He tells them that he wants to do this on the first day of how many weeks? Every week. He wants them to do this every time they come together. 
And it's interesting to me that he actually specifies the frequency of their giving. And that is that it is to be every week. In other words, it is to be regular and it is to be consistent. Now, why did he specify the regularity? I don't know. I don't know. It may be because it's tied in with that, the assembly and the, and the Lord's Supper and all that we're going to do anyways. But he could have told them anything, and it still would have been what they should have done. But he told them to do that on the first day of every week. And I do know that when we are in the habit of doing something, it comes much more natural. And when we don't do something very often, we have a tendency to get out of the practice. We have a tendency to forget. We have a tendency to stop doing it. Isn't that right? Uh, you know, you think about uh, just various things that we have to do. If we have to do it every day or every week, we're pretty good at remembering it. But if it's something we're supposed to do every quarter, we, we have to make a reminder. I, so I don't know why he specified it, but I do know in this we see that it is to be regular. And we also know there's great wisdom in that. Now, Sometimes in the seminars, people will say, well, what if, what if uh, you know, I only get one check a month? You only prosper once a month. Well, that's a great question, right? Because he says it is as you prosper. My suggestion, I can't bind this in any way and wouldn't try, but my suggestion is if you can calculate, if you know what you're going to make, and then you can divide that by the number of Sundays, then it would be helpful to you and maybe even for the, the, the church budget to be a little more consistent to just divide that by four or five, whatever it is that month, and give that much each, month, each Sunday so that you remain in the practice of giving. Now, I'm not going to bind that, but I think it's a wise suggestion. If I only do something once a month, I tend to get out of the practice of doing it. So regularly is something that he tells them to do. Another thing that he tells them they are that about their giving is it is personal. Giving is a very personal matter. Notice back to verse 2. So we have the regularity on the first day of every week. Let who? Each one of you. Let each one of you give. This becomes a very personal matter. And the truth is, our giving is personal. And what I mean by that is, I am expected to do this, and I'm expected to live by this, no matter what you are doing or not doing. It, yes, the, the, the collection is a collective function, but the giving is an individual one. And it is a very personal matter. Let each one of you do this. And you know, sometimes we have a tendency to think that we are giving for the sole purpose of meeting the budget. Isn't that right? Yeah. We, uh, you remember the old signs we used to have that had the, the numbers on the board? How many, uh, the attendance and the contribution, and some would even you know, have the record Sunday and stuff like that. One time I was teaching a Bible class, and I think I may have been in this text. I don't remember where I was, but uh, it was about the giving, and I was talking about giving, and, and this brother, and he was a good man. I like him uh, a lot, and we got along just fine. But he was a little bit irritated that we were even talking about this because he raises his hand, and he says, I don't know why we're even talking about this. We're meeting the budget. And he pointed at our, our board, 
And, and we were. We were. We were even maybe a couple of hundred dollars a month over the budget. But in his mind, why are we talking about this? This is not a problem because we're getting the bills paid. You'll notice Paul doesn't mention a budget. He doesn't mention a goal. He, he, he doesn't mention any of that. That's not the purpose for our giving. We have an individual obligation and responsibility and opportunity to give as we've been prospered. And I need to take that seriously, even if we're blowing the budget out of the water. Or even if the guy next to me doesn't give anything. Back when we passed the plates, you know, there's that person that observes the Passover when the collection plate goes by. And it might be easy to feel like, well, if, you know, he's not, I, you know, why am I giving and he's not? And it doesn't matter. It is such an individual, personal matter. I have that obligation and responsibility no matter what anyone else is doing or not doing. It's on me to do that. It's a very personal matter. Next, in the text, we see that we are to give systematically. Uh, notice that he, he tells them how they ought to do this, and that is that they will plan it out. That each one of you will do what? Put aside and save. That, in other words, I've thought about it. I've planned it. I've prayed about it. I know what I'm going to give. There is a, a system, if you will, that's going to govern my giving. And, you know, we, we can all be guilty of sometimes forgetting the check or whatever. I remember one Sunday I was actually... My wife always writes the check uh, because you can't read my handwriting. She writes the check and then gives it to me. And, uh, and that, but that Sunday was one of those Sunday mornings. You know, we had three, had three children, young children at the time, three children, and Sunday morning. I used to joke Lionel Richie obviously didn't go to church because he sang easy like Sunday morning. And if you go to church, there's nothing easy about Sunday morning. In all the franticness, she forgot to write the check. And, and so I didn't have a check, and the plate came by, and I had to observe the Passover. And, and I was preaching on giving that morning. Yeah, that wasn't a good look. It wasn't a good look. It happens sometimes. And, and maybe we forget, and, and it isn't until it's announced, separate and apart, that we suddenly, oh, you know, that happens. That happens. But that really ought to be the exception and not the norm. It ought to be so important to us that we've prayed about it, we've thought about it, we've planned it, we already know. It's in the budget. We already know. There's a system to it because it's so important. And he tells them, I want you to think about it. This requires some planning. He could have said, all right, church leaders in Corinth, when they get there, tell them we have a need and pass the hat. Not what he said. I want you to know ahead of time. So that you can plan and you can prepare to give. We're to give systematically. One more thing that he tells us, another guideline for our giving, is that it is to be proportionate. And this is a beautiful part to what he says. Because notice what he says. How much are we to give? As we have prospered. As we've prospered. I once had a, a woman tell me, you tell me how much I'm supposed to give, and that's what I'll give. She literally told me that. I said, well, make the check out to Keith. I said, I can't do that. Only you know what you prospered. 
And only you can decide what that is and, and how much you should give. But isn't it beautiful that we can't all give the same amount, but we can all give the same percentage. You see, and that's why we can preach these, this among people who have and who don't have. It, it doesn't matter. This percentage that he's talking about is the great equalizer. We can all give as we have prospered. We can all do that. And you know, some, we don't prosper the same. We don't prosper the same as each other. We don't always prosper the same even in our own households. Sometimes it's up and sometimes it's down. And yet that percentage remains and it's pretty liberating actually. I can give generously knowing that my, my income may go down next month and, and I'll, I'll adjust it and I, and I can go up and I can, I can always give generously because I am giving as I have prospered. Did y'all see me hit that pulpit with my arm? That kind of hurt. I didn't see, I don't see the pulpit here. By the way, I like this a lot better. Pulpits are much better smaller. The one where I'm a, where I'm a member, uh, when you look at that pulpit, I'm pretty sure whoever made it was reading the dimensions that God told Noah for the ark. And that thing is like all kinds of cubits. I don't know how many trees died. I like this thing, I just didn't see it there. I had one brother tell me one time you know it's funny because people when it comes to money we really like our money aren't isn't that right in fact jesus said our heart and our money is tied together and this man said you know but but you know like if i have four children and you have three children uh, even if we make the same money we didn't prosper in the same way oh come on i mean don't you think there were some people in corinth that had different numbers of children if we want, if we're trying to find a way to give less, ah, we'll talk ourselves into anything, won't we? We all have a pretty good inner salesman, and we buy what he sells because we like what he's selling. We'll convince ourselves of anything, especially when it comes to money. But where our heart is, there is our money. Think about the converse of that, though. Where our money is, there's where? There's what? That's where our heart is. If you want to have a more spiritual heart, start making more spiritual decisions with your money, and your heart will follow. Your heart and your money are tied together. Where do you want your heart to be? Then put your money there. Because Jesus said they go together. So we are to give proportionately and systematically and, regular, and personally and regularly. Those are four very practical guidelines that he shares with us in this text. Now, what I want to do for the, at the, uh, to close today, because I knew kind of who the audience would be today, some, some of those with influence, some of those who preach and teach and elders and, and others, I, I want us to, to think about what we can do to encourage generous giving today among God's people. By the way, God's people, some of God's people, are incredibly generous unbelievably so i'll tell you a quick story i can't share all the details because this may be seen in in other countries where i have other friends but but there was a uh, we have a school in a country that was really 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 hard hit by the lockdowns and and lack of food and all that and i i knew them I, they don't ask for anything and i was touched and i uh i was just going to send them some money from my own personal account I texted my wife, said, I think I, 
I probably should have asked, but I said, we're going to do this. And she said, awesome. And then I thought, you know what? Other people might want to be involved too. And wow, unbelievably so. All I did was make one very vague Facebook post that said, if you want to know more, send me a message. Because I didn't want the can of worms out there, and that's why I'm not going to share all of it with you today. And one announcement in my home congregation, and wow, unbelievable. By the way, there's some folks here who helped in that. God's people are generous, so generous. But let's think about how we can do this. How, what practical things can those of us who are in some uh, position of influence do to increase and encourage generous giving among God's people? The first thing we need to do is we need to explain what the money is for. You know, they've done studies to show and that have proven that people give more when they know what it's going to be used for. And, and you, you know, you're thinking, well, that, yeah, duh, that makes sense. When, when people knew what I was going to be using that money for that I told them about, man, it came in because the, they knew what it was for and it touched, they were touched by a need. So we know that makes sense. But how many times do we in our churches tell people this is what it's going to be used for? Now, maybe you, you do that. Maybe some congregations have a budget Sunday where they talk about on one Sunday a year they do that, that and that's good and that's helpful but most don't you ask the average church member did you give today yeah I put something in what was it for well you know stuff I mean you know like church needs needs it they don't really know what it's going for I mean it's good that they're giving and they don't even know where it's going but but what if they knew where it was going well studies have shown that that actually increases the giving uh, because, you know, we need resources, right? We need something to work with. I, uh, I one time used a shampoo that was... Uh, 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 it, it was advertised, it said it on the bottle, volumizing. What a lie. I mean, what a lie. You know, you have to have something to work with. And, and the resources are already there. The, the challenges are just still in our pockets sometimes. But when people know what it's for and they see a need, they will more generously and, and gladly give. By the way, when we do finally preach about talking, what extremes we do? We go to extremes. We, we, we go to one stream that is evasive. Don't really want to talk about it. Maybe we don't ever talk about it. And, and we try to avoid it. Then we go to the, some do it to the other stream, and they go to the abrasive extreme. You got to do this. You don't give, going to hell. Why don't you give? If you love God, you'd really give. How many times have we heard a sermon for the, about that? Where guilt is the number one motivator. And yet God says, I want what kind of giver? A cheerful giver. Using guilt as motivation to give is actually not even biblical. Let's start talking about the joy of generosity. Because there really is great joy and generosity. When people are generous, they're happy. And they are more generous when they know where it is going. It makes sense. We just don't always do a really good job of explaining where this is going and what it's going to be used for. Or what if, you know, there's some disaster and the church writes a, a check to help with those, those needs. The, the church can at least say, hey, from the church funds that you gave, we were able to do this, this, and this. 
People like that. They appreciate that because when, when people give, they want to know that they're making a difference. They want to know they're making a difference. Explain the purpose, show them what it's going for, and help them to know that what they're doing actually really matters. A second thing that we can do is we can make it convenient to give. Now, not exactly sure why Paul said on the first day of the week, it could have been tied to their worship, but, uh, but if he had said, I want you to give it on Friday, they need to come make a special trip to wherever the person was and give it to them on Friday. But what he chose to do, and even if this wasn't the only reason why he said it, what he chose was literally the most convenient thing that he could have chosen. They were already coming, they were already going to be together, and so that's a good time to take up the collection. And I say that because uh, it makes sense, again, to make it convenient, but we have moved into an era in our culture where the, the average church still only accepts the most inconvenient form of giving left in our society. You know what that is, right? How, ma how many checks a week do you write? Anybody write more than one check a week? No. I write, my, we write, well, my wife writes one check a week. Even my mother only writes one check a week. Do you know that only 7% of all cash transactions in our society are now by check? And yet, what are we doing on Sundays? Hey, you know that archaic thing that you never use anymore? And you only still have it because of church? Yeah, get that thing out. Actually, remember it. And then make sure you write one out ahead of time and then, and then put it in the plate. Now, anybody wants to give by check, that's great. But the average congregation has not yet caught up to making it possible for people to give electronically. Someone says, well, I don't know. Now, that's some awfully modern stuff you got there. Well, you know, there was, a, there was a time when church leaders had to get together and decide what they're going to do about checks. Man, I don't know. We've always given cash and, and chickens. And, uh, and I don't know, this, this check, it's a piece of paper. And I can see them in elders meetings. What are we going to do? This is too modern. You know I'm right. I saw that Bear Valley is caught up. That's good. The average congregation is not caught up. You want to know how far behind times we are? I can go into church buildings in third world countries, and on the wall, they have a QR code that people walk up to and scan and make their contribution in third world countries. They don't have electricity in the building, but they've got that. You can go into other church buildings, and they've got their, their number. You, they send money by text, not an app, but by a text. The church's number and you send it to that number, and you send your amount, and the church gets that amount. And that's been going on in third world countries for the last five to ten years. When I was collecting that money, that was a real epiphany for me. Nobody wanted to give a check. Even when I got the eldership on board to handle the funds, and they could get a tax benefit, they didn't want to do that. If you've got PayPal, let me do that. And, and I, even one of the older, older men 
said, I want to make a contribution. What's your PayPal? I said, well, you know, the church is handling that. If you write a check, they'll handle that, and you'll actually get the tax. I don't care. I don't want to write a check. It is wise for us to catch up to where the members are living. By the way, if you forget that check, what are the odds you're going to remember to double it next week? I wonder how many dollars collectively have been lost because we forgot to bring the check. I made that announcement about taking up the money. Immediately, two of our younger women, both probably in their late 20s, came to me and said, do you have Venmo? I said, well, yeah, I do now because of all of this. And they said, okay, good, because we don't have any cash and we don't even own checks. And one of them gave $200 right there on the spot. And that $200 would not have been given if she hadn't had the ability to do it right then while we were talking about it and she was thinking about it. Churches, let's catch up. There's nothing wrong with it. By the way, you can use some, some charge, some small fee. You probably make it up, though, in people who can give immediately. Just imagine the QR code is also on the back of the bulletin. Boom. Done. We need to make it convenient, and it's, it's going to pay for itself in the long run. But even there are even some services that there's no fee involved at all. All right, one more thing. We need to do a little better job, a lot better job at encouraging our folks to plan their giving. Remember, we said systematically, let, let's talk about, uh, you know, the, the, we, ha- we need to have a plan. But how many times in the church do we encourage people to plan their giving? Where we actually talk about it. You know, what, one thing that happens is you start giving a certain amount, and that's just the amount you always give. And, and, you know, we've gone through a decade or two of raises and windfalls and bonuses, and, and we're still writing that check or whatever, that, whatever we're doing for the same amount. Why? Because nobody made us think. We need, to, we need to stir ourselves up to think about this and to plan about it. You know, one of the things that Paul says in the second book to the Corinthians is we want to excel. We want to excel in giving just like we do in, in love and faith and other good works. We don't want to keep getting better. But how many times do we encourage our brethren to get better at giving and do better at giving? Instead, what we do is we talk at the Lord's Supper, and rightfully so, about the the importance and the significance. And then we come to the giving. You know how it goes, right? What what am I going to say? Severing apart. Sort of of sorry to have to bring this up. We saved it to the end, but we can't. It's a necessary evil. And so we're going to pass some things around, and and you you can give something. The end. What if maybe once a month we dedicated as much time in talking about the giving and the importance of it and the necessity of it before we take up the collection as we do before the Lord's Supper? What about that? By the way, the, the uh, COVID, among the other things that COVID has killed, it has killed the Lord's Supper stance. Have you noticed that? We don't, we don't have eight men standing in front of us anymore lord's supper stance may be gone forever i don't know by the way i noticed bear valley's got the good stuff those good communion kits man first class here have y'all had the uh the other one it's got the the unleavened styrofoam yeah it's first class here well covid has killed the lord's supper stance but we still and and we don't even pass the plates anymore right and that may stick By the way, even more reason to make it convenient to give. What if 
people could get up Sunday morning while they're getting ready, make that contribution. Anyway, because we're not passing the plates anymore. So if somebody didn't think about it ahead of time, they're not, it's, they haven't thought about it now. We can still take time to encourage giving. I'll, I'll mention one thing that I mentioned in the seminars is to encourage people to think about the church in their estate. And we don't talk about things like this very often either, but just think with me on the math. Here's a congregation, and in the course of a, of a year, five members die. And it just so happens that each of them gave $100 a week. Okay, now with those people gone, we're now missing $500 a week. Ouch. And we're missing $26,000 a year. $26,000 a year shortfall just because we had five funerals. And in the next five years, we're now in the six figures of lost contributions just from the five that died that year. I didn't count the five that died the next year and the next year and the next year. You see where I'm going, right? What if we encourage people to start thinking ahead? And, and, and this is what I suggest, is make sure that in the, your will, your estate, whatever you give would give in a five-year period, dedicate that to the church. So that at least for the first five years, we, we'll miss you and everything else about you, but at least we won't miss that. But again, we need, to, we need to start thinking about some of these things and encouraging people to plan and to do better and to excel in their giving. Let's, let's talk about it unapologetically, kindly. Let's speak about it positively. It's not a necessary evil. It is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to live and know the joy of generosity. Generous people are happy people. Stingy people are unhappy people. God wants us to do it, and he needs the resources, but more than that, he wants the heart that's first committed, that loves to support the things that are important to God. That's what we're doing when we give. When we give, we're supporting God's priorities. Let's convey that, let's communicate that, let's encourage that, because we have some of the most generous people in the world. May God bless us as we do that.